0: beer of the week this week is high creek fruit punch sour ale from sugar creek brewing here in charlotte it's actually like high c flavored like the fruit punch and then they kind of infuse that into a sour ale i don't know how it works but we've been going with sweet beers recently and since there's no game this week maybe mix it up a little bit we went with a sour
1: yeah i mean two weeks ago you you brought the Cheerwine ale on air and now the the high sea Creek is now brought in. I feel like I'm reliving my childhood here on Perfect Takes. And I'm your host, Stephen Patton, joined by my co-host Jacob Acquire. And since we last recorded, the Panthers had a press conference where uh, Dave Canales and Dan Morgan were kind of able to introduce kind of their vision for the franchise, where they want to go. Brant Tillis was mentioned in name, but because the Chiefs are still kind of uh, playing football, Uh, which we would like to be in the next couple of years. He wasn't uh, on the interview side of things, but I'm excited to have him in the room. What were your key takeaways from this press conference? Were there things you would have liked to have heard uh, said, or did they kind of uh, touch on everything they needed to?
0: Uh, I would have liked to have heard from Tillis who was there, but like you said, uh, wasn't interviewed. He was just there in the stands and David Tepper shouted him out. Dan Morgan shouted him out. Would have loved to hear more from Tepper, but uh, he, you know, he kind of ducks the media. He said at the end of the interview, as was reported by a couple of the media members there that he said, uh, no, I'm not interviewing right now. I'm in the background now. And he had kind of a wry smile. So hopefully he's serious about that. Like he's uh, like the football people do the football stuff, but he may have just been joking. We know Tepper kind of is like that, a little spiteful. But uh, I I liked what I heard um, on the surface from Canales and Morgan because obviously they're not going to divulge their offseason draft plans or free agency plans or schematics or anything like that. But I thought they were a good tandem where you could tell who was who, right? You could tell who the SoCal kid was, and you could tell who the – Pro Bowl linebacker was just by listening to their voices where Canales was energetic, excited this whole time. Whereas Den Morgan, kind I'm sure he was excited. I'm sure he was happy to be there because this is a big moment for him, but he wasn't as energetic. He kind of looked like a deer in headlights where I'm not sure if he's a big press conference guy, but he got his point across too. where Canales was talking about the team and how they want to build and like how they want to be, aligned and familial and stuff like that. Dan Morgan was like, we want players that inflict pain. We want killers. And I, he's right there. We don't have enough dogs on the team. Think about the uh, the Vikings game where it was a false start or an offsides. Or, I think it was a false start. And uh, there's a free rusher that just leveled Bryce and nobody went to help him up or go fight the other team or push that player. Just shows the lack of uh, like dogs on the team. There's a bunch of soft people on the team. And so I was glad he pointed that out.
1: Yeah, Dan Morgan, I I wouldn't say he looked as a, so much as a deer caught in headlights, as much as kind of what you were alluding to being a linebacker of just zoned in, like just keying in And, and Dave Canales being kind of the communicator he is. He's able to address everybody, address the room as a whole. And like you said, it kind of, uh, embodied their personas, their roles on this team. And what I thought was interesting is that they were a couple doors down from each other during their seven year stint together in Seattle. So that was like really cool to kind of see that grow and blossom from them being kind of assistants in that front office to now being the head of the Panthers franchise. And I I, want to hope and believe that Dave Canales' plan for rebuilding the wide receiver room, the O-line in the synergy there because he did talk about synergy with the run game and that leading into the passing game is that that's going to help Bryce because if Bryce doesn't have help in either of those departments I don't see how we're going to take a step from this first year and that's a lot of work to do and I'd be a little skeptical if we go after aging Mike Evans Uh, I've even seen reports that we may try to trade for like a Stefan Diggs I I want young guys, uh, maybe even unproven guys over veterans that are going to cost and hurt us from a cap standpoint, which is where Brant Tillis comes in. And I'm hoping that all of them together in a room are going to be able to make smart decisions that are best for this franchise, that are best for Bryce Young and his development. And like you said, we're bringing in dogs because it's unacceptable that you you see your franchise quarterback get leveled and there's no one fighting. That That was the cool part Cam's rookie year. Steve Smith got leveled by Roman Harper and... All of them are in the end zone just going after Saints players. And at no point am I going to sit here and and promote violence. But there is an element of if if somebody on your team gets whacked, that you're right there in the fray of it. Like, that's that's not acceptable. And I'm hoping Canales, Morgan, Tillis, they embody that and it's just top-bottom from here.
0: Uh- well, you think even in 2018, too, and this was a guy that had just joined the team, Cam Newton uh, gets absolutely speared by DeMonte KZ. Just to, yep. There's nothing other to call it than a dirty hit. He was already down and everything. And Torrey Smith, a guy we signed that off-season, came up and just destroyed KZ because he's protecting his guy. I think that's what we need more of. And I don't want to like stress that they don't like Bryce or anything like that this has just been the energy of the team the past like three four or five seasons and that needs to change and I'm glad Morgan addressed that you brought up uh, Brent Tillis being the contract guy Dan Morgan kind of joked about that. He said, "Yeah, I can't wait for uh, Brand to get here and take the the coaches' contracts off my plate. I've been hating <laughs> doing that." And I, yeah, I can imagine because Dan Morgan, his uh, front office role is a comes from a scouting background, and so he's more of the uh, the player personnel kind of guy. And so I can't imagine that he uh, is having too much fun with all these coaches' contracts and stuff. But I like the uh, the marriage between he and Tillis. Kind of coordinating the front office together, I think that's going to be a good matchup.
1: It is, and I'm I'm really excited to see Dan Morgan's evaluation because I think this goes back to I think Tim Donnelly with 99.9 The Fan said the only reason that Dan Morgan should have been hired from the absolute shit show that were the Carolina Panthers last year is the fact that he disagreed with everything that Federer was doing, and and had the records had the minutes to show hey. I wanted these guys, and look at what they're doing now. That would have been perfect here in Carolina. And so if his evaluations have been solid, he's able to identify players in free agency that are going to bolster this squad, that aren't going to to be on the field just for a paycheck, that are going to be fighting down in and down out. And I love that he referenced guys that have have been franchise stalwarts, from Jonathan Stewart a couple times to even Jake DeLome, and just having a competitive nature From the practice field and how that that translates from that practice to the actual in game scenarios so really excited to see that I was a little skeptical of when Joe Pearson kind of brought up during this press conference of kind of the factions that were going on within the coaching staff and who was reporting to who and I kind of. I don't want to say it was snitching, but more one of those things that they weren't allowing Frank Wright the coach. And I understand he doesn't bring the energy that Dave Canales brings, but that's just not something you want to see in an organization. You want to see a culture that's that's about the team, that's not about me. And too many times when you end up start you start the lose. And and you lose the way we did last year, the couple couple of past years here in Carolina, is that everybody's just in it for themselves. And I really want to see that if we start out slow, that we we have a one in six, one in seven start. Things haven't quite clicked. That we stay together as a unit. That we are here as a team, as a family. There's camaraderie. And and if you see that, that's something that you can kind of hang your laurels on, even if the results haven't quite gotten there yet.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think the factions that you're referring to, the good news is those people are out of the building. And I think a big cause of why that kind of broke down last year is, uh, and this was David Tepper's urging that we get the best and brightest minds and kind of meld them together. We didn't have time for all that to work out, right? There are just too many voices in Bryce's ear, too many voices in Frank Reich's ears probably with all the different people who he hasn't worked with before. But uh, looking at Canalis, where when he comes in, we're keeping Ejiro Evero. That was reported uh, a couple of days ago. And most of the defensive, if not all the defensive staff is staying. So there's continuity there. And then Canales' offensive staff, it's all his Bucks guys. And I think there's one guy from uh, the Seahawks. But it's all guys that he knows and trusts, all guys that he's worked with that had good results last year in Tampa. And that's the, the kind of continuity and alignment, I think, that can be beneficial to where all the coaches know what we need to do the game plan or not not the game plan but like the plan for the team what we're working towards nobody is uh kind of in a their own group or left out we all have the same idea same goal and that even speaks to canales and morgan being familiar with each other for i think it's seven years in seattle being able to work together towards the same goal that's the the thing i like the most about this offseason and putting these guys together because like you, I wasn't a huge fan of Dan Morgan uh, getting the promotion because I, I just don't think anybody from a 2-15 and 15 team should be uh, given higher authority. But I think the alignment between him and Canalis and everyone, not just those two, is what kind of sells me on being hopeful for it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that you had the continuity on the defensive side, and we had a bunch of injuries to the D-line, to the linebacking core, that if the front seven, they stay healthy, even the back end. I mean, J.C. Horn, Xavier Woods, those guys were out for large portions of the Leon year. Sean Bell. Yeah. And you, you get those guys healthy and then you're able to keep everybody on the same page with different calls with, with alignments. Like you said, we're keeping Evero and most of the staff. So there's a lot of continuity on that side of the ball. We obviously need to retain a couple guys in free agency, pay a guy like Frankie Louvu, uh, retain a guy like YGM, uh, probably, probably cut Shaq Thompson. It's probably time. Um, but the next thing is, is, um, then then what are we going to do about uh the offensive side? And so I, I think it's cool that we bring in a lot of the Bucks staff. They were able to get the most or maximize as and Dave Canales likes to use that word out of kind of the O line that was there. I, I'm very curious and, with his background as a wide Yeah, go as on. you noted,
0: this was an O line we had questions about going into the year. Mm-hmm. Like uh this was not an O line that was supposed to be super solid. Like not even just us a lot of people had questions about it and this staff got the most out of them
1: they did and obviously they did not pave the way for for the running back and obviously rashad white isn't your bell cow necessarily but it's one of those things that they, they weren't effective in the run game, but they were able to keep Baker upright in the pocket. And that was something that we even struggled to do last year under James Camp and to kind of keep him upright in the pocket. And it felt like he kept bailing uh, because he didn't trust the O-line. So if the, the new staff there, they're able to get the most out of the, the pieces that we have, we don't have the, the Corbett or the Brady Christensen injuries. There's, there's a real shot that we can take a step in that department. And it really comes down to our new offensive coordinator and Dave Canales both have ties to kind of wide receiver coaching that if they can get the most out of our group and add more guys to that room, then, then we have a fighting chance to win five, six, seven games like we talked about last year. And the big thing is, and uh, we'll get more into this uh, kind of coming up, is I want to see guys making the Pro Bowl. Uh, we we have so much talent, I feel, on both sides of the ball that just haven't been maximized and more so on the defensive side. We only had Derek Brown go to the Pro Bowl this year, and we we didn't have any all pros on it, either uh, the, the offense, the defense, or special teams. And I, I want to see that change, and I, I want that dog mentality that we have guys that are recognized not only on this team and this community, but around the NFL. And speaking of that, we had the Pro Bowl this past weekend, no NFL games. you you have an interesting take on the pro bowl and i think a lot of people would agree with your stance but kind of kind of how do you feel about this kind of all-star game right before the super bowl
0: yeah i'm just not a huge fan of it i remember as a kid i'm pretty sure this was the case the pro bowl was after the super bowl um when it was over in i believe it's hawaii right it's hawaii and yeah, they they had their uh their games kind of like the pro bowl games they do now or like the competitions. I remember uh Delome with like the furthest throw and stuff like that. They had those kind of things and they had the actual game on Sunday and while it wasn't 100% full speed or anything, they actually played. Like I think I think about uh the Sean Taylor big hit or I think <sighs> about um it was Jeff Saturday I believe. It was peyton manning's like final pro bowl like his last snap ever jeff saturday switched teams to snap it to him one more time so there was like actual meaning and camaraderie to it but now that they moved it before the super bowl and they've kind of reformatted it they had the uh, the draft pro bowl a couple years ago or maybe a decade ago now which was just horrible <laughs> they have like the uh, the games now and a lot of it is people and i, I don't want to say the players don't care but A lot of it is replacement players. Derrick Brown was a replacement pick for the Pro Bowl uh, as as well as a lot of the QBs there. So I think even they don't care as much. But for me, it's just there's just no stakes in it. I don't care about it. Um, There's not even an actual game anymore. There was flag football, which was kind of neat. But I just saw a couple of highlights. I just don't think people care about it anymore. So as far as I'm concerned, it could just be an accolade and they just get rid of the thing completely unless they overhaul it. A good bit which is kind of your idea for it
1: yeah so when we look at like all-star games that are actually looked at from from like a a viewership standpoint because that's what you want to you want to increase that like viewership drives the dollars and that's what the nfl cares about and i think you got to put it in the middle of the season We saw the NBA kind of build this like in-season, like pretty much tournament, which was really cool to see this past year. They have their all-star game kind of, I want to say a little over the halfway point. Uh, Baseball is kind of the same way. And you brought up a good point that some of these sports don't elicit necessarily the injury uh, prone that a high contact sport like the NFL does. But my thing is, is you got to increase the kind of money that's gained from a event like this. And you got to create it to the point where the NFL wants to go to 18 games that you, you put it dead smack in the middle and you almost put a weak buffer in between that game. So teams have the ability to reset, breathe, maybe you do away with individual bye weeks and you constantly have uh 16 games uh all 18 games of the year which would be kind of cool to see i don't know how that would all look but i think if you increase the money from a player standpoint to where it's like four or six game checks equivalent to not only get to that game but win that game and then maybe there's an incentive and the way the super bowl set up it's usually like predetermined years in advance but you you give some some advantage to the nfc or afc team uh, whether that's the jersey color they decide on, uh, whether it's uh, they're able to call the coin flip, whatever you want to deem it as an advantage to come from that game, I think now the players actually have something to play for. And that means if they have something to play for, the game's going to be more competitive. Like you said, the week after we we got to witness Sean Taylor Big hit. We we got to see like contact and pads. Now it's a flag football game, and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, that's not the sport that we turn on every Sunday. This is this is kind of like a, a backyard football showdown, so to speak. And and that's got to change if you want to keep the Pro Bowl around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like the idea of the winning side getting to pick the coin toss. I think that's a a cool thing to do because in baseball, I believe it's the home team uh like rotation
1: they just uh, whether the they ALB just ALB did away ALBs with died. it but yeah for, oh, for about yeah. a decade it for was the longest was...
0: time yeah and then uh the nba there's no real prize other than your charity gets a i believe a larger donation whoever wins the fourth quarter um and they're i think they're doing away with the the fourth quarter rules they brought a couple years ago which i believe made the game way more competitive but uh i, I think they're getting rid of it but i'm not sure there. The point is they need to do something to make it worth watching. And I, I like the in the middle of the season kind of thing. If everybody can have the same bye week at once, uh, like you were alluding to, maybe make it an 18-game schedule and have your bye week at week six, Pro Bowl week 12 or 13, um, and then your last bye week, week like, what, 14 or 15 or something
1: like that. And the uh, Pro Bowl, that, whatever week that's hosted, that technically could be a every week. Yeah, everybody else is off. So you'd have three weeks where guys are off, coaches are able to kind of reset, regame plan, and then you have this all-star game where there's incentive in it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of good ideas there. The bottom line is they just have to do something about it because I don't know the viewership numbers up front, but I would wager that what it is now is probably like less than a quarter of what it used to be when it was an actual game. So it needs to change um, or be removed regardless. But moving on to like more positive stuff, uh, there were two more head coach hirings the last two, uh, like unless somebody else gets fired after the Super Bowl, which I doubt. Um, And I believe this one for Seattle was probably your favorite hiring in this entire cycle.
1: Yeah, Mike, Mike McDonald is a stud. I, I think this guy is going to get the most out of the pieces that are over there in Seattle. He's got guys along the line, a bo- uh, Boye Mofe, uh, um Menesu. I, I'm, I'm probably pronouncing his ra- uh, uh, name. Nochenna Nuoza. Nuoza. Uh, I'm, I was trying to put his name in Omenahu, uh, who just tore his ACL together, and that did not work. But you have a couple of those guys on the defensive line. You have Reek Woolen. You have Devin Witherspoon on that back end. I think you even have Quandre Diggs. So some nice pieces all over that defense that I think he's going to be able to maximize. And then currently what they have on offense is really, really solid. So while they're middle of the pack in terms of their draft pick and cap, this team is pretty well set. And I think they have a couple year window to to where they can make a run. And so adding a guy like this, who's got fresh ideas, who's building a very interesting coaching staff. I don't know exactly who their offensive coordinator is. Um, but I will be very interested to see kind of who they add there. I know there were some rumors, I believe, around Ryan Grubb, who is the Washington Huskies offensive coordinator, who if he's not hired, he'll be Alabama's offensive coordinator this fall, um, that he could be the guy. And so that offense could be very exciting because we just saw what um, Pennix did at Washington. That would actually be a sneaky landing spot for Pennix, especially with Geno Smith on a I think he's got two more years left on his deal as kind of like a backup and a potential replacement. So very, very cool to see on that front. We'll see if he takes that team to the promised land in terms of the playoffs. Um, I would have been uh, ecstatic to see him paired with Joe Hortz, who landed in the the Chargers building last week, and we talked about him. But those were two guys that I was really high on this offseason. And I'm, I'm really happy that both of them got an opportunity to shine and, and kind of head roles.
0: Yeah, uh, we've both sung the praises of Mike McDonald during this head coaching cycle, carousel cycle, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought he was the best coordinator overall, offense and defense. And it's interesting that he's replacing Pete Carroll, who was the oldest head coach in the NFL at age 72. And Mike McDonald is 36. So he is quite literally half the age of Pete Carroll. So it's definitely going to be a, I don't want to say like a culture overhaul or anything because i think the seahawks are pretty like uh solid in the culture department they all know what they're doing and stuff like that but it's going to be interesting going from such a a seasoned coach who's been around the block for like probably double our ages to uh, a guy that's been in the nfl for only a handful of years he has coached for uh, i think over a little over a decade now but like some of it was in college and then he had the stint with the Ravens as the linebackers coach and everything, but it's just going to be interesting going from the hall of fame, Pete Carroll to this young guy, but I think it will mesh well because like you said, they have that young defense that were both pretty high on um, some guys you left off there. Like Jamal Adams is still there Then they have yeah. uh, Kobe Bryant and uh, I believe Michael Jackson, as some of their tertiary corners and dime package DBs there. Um, and then I, I think if they upgrade their defensive line, they're going to be really nasty this year. And then, like you said, on the offensive side of the ball, young O-line, that's, uh, they were a bit banged up, but they're still pretty young, pretty coming along. And I'm a big fan of Charles Cross. Um, they could put somebody behind Geno. And then we're both big fans of Kenneth Walker and Charbonnet. The receiving core is obviously one of the best, as long as Tyreek Hill is on top. And as we have guys Tyreek like uh, uh, I'm Tyler Lockett, excuse me. Good catch. <laughs> And then you have guys like uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba coming along and uh, uh, Jake Bobo, the other rookie that they had. So this is a good team, uh, I think, roster wise going forward. And I'm pretty happy that Mike McDonald landed in a spot like this instead of uh, another spot, which is the other team that hired a head coach. And I think Washington kind of they either got screwed or screwed themselves here.
1: Yeah, I, before we touch on Washington, I wanted to put a little bit more in the perspective of the age disparity that we were talking about with Pete Carroll and Mike McDonald. For reference, uh, Pete Carroll, when he actually became like a, a coordinator or assistant uh, at his very first level, which was in, in kind of college ball, and that was with Ohio uh, Iowa State. Uh, mm-hmm. Excuse me, not uh, Ohio Ohio State was the next stop. So very interesting that he went from Iowa to Ohio. Um, but he was, at the time, 20. 27 years old like that's that's right around our age so Mike McDonald hadn't even been born yet like his his resume in terms of coaching he's got over 40 years of coaching experience like Mike McDonald is not even that old. So like what you were talking about from like a culture standpoint, I don't know if it's so much culture, it's just experience. Like Pete Carroll has been around so much ball and to have him as kind of a senior assistant or an advisor to this team is gonna be huge. I think that's part of the reason why they went with Mike McDonald is because Pete Carroll got to look at some of these candidates and went, no, this is our guy. Like this is, this is a guy that we can build around and, and really groom up into kind of the all-star coach that we want here in Seattle. So, um, moving on, like you said, Washington kind of missed out on Ben Johnson. It was apparently, and this was leaked by the athletic and it just sounded like it was. Washington was very bitter about kind of what happened, but they got the report while they were up in the air. So they, they didn't have any notifications. Maybe they had their Wi-Fi on and they were able to kind of see messages coming through, but it's one of those things that you're going to interview him a second time. And he goes, nah, I'm good. And. I mean, that's, that's interesting, but the candidate they landed on out of some of the guys that were available, like, how do you feel about this? Like I, I would have gone a different direction. I would have gone Evero where um, he Morris was obviously off the books, but there were a couple other defensive coordinators, a, a Mike Rabel even that I would have gone over, over a Dan Quinn.
0: Yeah. Dan Quinn was the guy that I thought could be maybe to Seattle, right? Cause he was there before, there's the connection there, but they obviously went with a better choice, in my opinion. Um, and then you, you talk about guys like Ejiro Evero, uh, who I think is probably better than Dan Quinn. Um, Mike Vrabel, who the report about Vrabel the other day of uh, him being a big, large man and owners being intimidated was hilarious. Uh, I Owners stop being intimidated by a large football player and just hire the best coach. Uh, but then other guys, um, Aaron Glenn, whom they interviewed a second time from Detroit. I thought Detroit's defense was excellent this year. Eric Bieniemy, I thought, did a good job with the limited offense there in Washington this year. All these guys, I think, uh, I don't want to say are more qualified because Quinn has led probably one of, if not the best defensive unit the past three or four years, or I believe three years in Dallas. but. He just wasn't a good head coach, and we we saw kind of the blunders that he had when he was in Atlanta. He was the fastest coach ever to be fired in season. I believe it was after the fourth game that he was let go. I believe Matt yeah. Matt Rule was, was like after fourth the fourth or
1: fifth. fifth game. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was something Rule was crazy. the
0: fifth, but Quinn was after the fourth. Um, ironically, now Raheem Morris is the Falcons head coach there, but I, I'm just not quite sure about him. He he was a good defensive coordinator this year. In the past couple of years in Dallas, but again, I think Dallas's defensive roster is one of the best. So I I don't know. Um, this is very clearly like a a fallback option, or they were locked in on Ben Johnson because Ben Johnson and Adam Peters were supposed to team up when they found the right spot, and they hired Adam Peters, their new general manager, before like any other hire was made, I believe. <laughs> like uh, yeah. among head coaches and general managers. He was the first one hired. So the thought was, all right, this is the Ben Johnson spot. You know, they have the number two pick. It can be Ben Johnson, the former uh, North Carolina quarterback, and Drake May, the North Carolina quarterback. It's all coming together, and then it just doesn't. And so they just have but to be disappointed.
1: That's where I don't think, and there were reports that came kind of I, – I, one of these reports, I would assume, are from Ben Johnson's camp. The other is probably just – somebody who kind of heard hearsay between the two sides. But Ben Johnson kind of knocked the the Josh Harris-led group, ownership group by the Washington Commanders. Uh, he almost made it sound like these are basketball guys that think that that translates now to pro football. And my assumption with that is that they're more infatuated with a guy like Caleb Williams and Ben Johnson's higher on a Drake May. Uh, And I don't know exactly where Adam Peters stood in between those two points, but I think the Cliff Kingsbury hire by Dan Quinn as the OC all but solidifies that they really do lean towards Caleb Williams. So that being said, I think Ben Johnson was turned off by that and the philosophy and direction they wanted ahead. And then the other factor is, is it sounded like he was asking for a lot of money. This was something I brought up a couple of weeks ago that I felt like he was just spurning Charlotte. but. I think he really wants to make it worth his while because he understands if you don't get it right the first time, you don't really get a second opportunity. Like what Dan Quinn's gotten, even a Ron Rivera, uh, other guys that have gotten opportunity. We've seen Mike Vrabel not get a second chance, even though both of us think he's a very respectable head coach, a guy that can lead a football team and so when he looks at that and he wants to make sure the opportunity is right i think he's honestly waiting for some of these ideal situations like an andy reed to retire or uh, one of these guys that have built a solid team that gets older to kind of just come in and take their place if mike mccarthy gets fired in dallas that'd be a great spot to go to you have an ownership group that's willing to spend that's put out a good roster and a good team year in year you're in and you're out. And so it's one of those things that he's not just going to go for chump chains and just jump on an opportunity because it's one of 32. He's in a great position. He's under 40. He's in no rush at this point. And so I, I, I don't know exactly what your thoughts on it, but those, those were things that kind of clued me in that Washington's ownership was going in a different direction than he was.
0: Well, I, I kind of disagree there because in terms of ideal spots, now, Washington obviously hasn't been the best culture or anything the past couple years, but Snyder's gone and everything. And like we've talked about the past month, they have the best combination of like draft capital and cap space this year. Mm-hmm. So he really could have built his own offense there. All right. If not Washington, then maybe Seattle, you know, uh, that was a, a spot that you just alluded to where a legendary coach just retired, but he withdrew. I believe they had hired Mike McDonald, but the fact that he withdrew from Washington indicates that he wasn't willing to go anywhere. But then you also bring up a a team like Dallas, where we thought that they might uh, be inclined to move on from Mike McCarthy or uh, at least put the hot seat on him. Why wouldn't Jerry Jones just hire like a Mike Vrabel who's proven, you know, or uh, if Belichick wants to coach Kim Belichick?
1: Well, I I I mean, hard to believe that. Yeah, well, McCartney's yeah, won like 12, 12 wins, yeah. three straight seasons. Like that's, that's right. not hard, easy to do.
0: Well, that's my point is I, I find it hard to believe that if he feels the ceiling is capped out with a team that wins 12 games every year, does he think this first-time head coach who's a hotshot play caller, but a spurn team's now two cycles in a row, is the guy to do it as opposed to Vrabel, proven winner. If he wants Belichick, proven winner. Guys like that. I don't know. So like – I. I don't want to say this is the Byron Lefwich thing where he uh, he missed his one chance because obviously I think uh, the league and fans regard Ben Johnson as this uh, like all-worldly play caller. So he's going to get his chance again. But I don't know. like there, You're right. There are only 32 teams, but there's never going to be the perfect ideal spot. And I thought that Washington, with all the stuff that they had to offer, would have been that spot. Even if they go 0 and 17 this year, that's a winning season because they don't have Snyder there anymore. So like the yeah. expectations were low, the resources were
1: high. I don't know. So it's like I, I don't I don't know but but again i think it's it's clash with ownership ben johnson has a vision this is a guy that that sees kind of what he wants what he's built in detroit has been phenomenal and that's where i was saying he's okay waiting a year for the dallas opening is that mike mccarthy this is his last stand so if mike mccarthy gets fired he has the ability to go in and work wonders and what we just saw with mike mccarthy in the playoffs he kind of choked that game away in terms of a play-calling standpoint. I don't think it was just Dak. I think there were better ways to drop a game plan, and we saw what Ben Johnson did in the playoffs this year. I mean, the Lions almost pretty much got to the Super Bowl, and obviously they had a strong style O-line, but that's something that Dallas has been known for for well over a decade. So I think it's one of those things that he wants to make sure he's philosophically in line with the general manager. And this is a guy that comes from more like – a Parcells background. Adam Peters kind of comes from working with a guy like Shanahan. And those are two different cut cloths right there. We've seen Mike Shanahan in Washington. Granted, we've seen guys like Marty Schottenheimer who, who do have more ties to the Mike McCarthy or you're winning one-on-one matchups and not so much spatial design. But this is where I think it just came down to ideological differences. And obviously we disagree, but it's one of those things that, yes, spurning now... Teams two uh, off-seasons in a row is definitely not good to have on your resume. To blow off bottom teams, though, I don't think if that's necessarily going to send teams away like a Dallas, because if Ben Johnson blew off the commanders, you think the Eagles, if they fire Nick Sirianni next year, or the Cowboys, if they let Mike McCarthy go and don't re-sign him, they, they're going to be turned off by that? Absolutely not. I think they're going to want a guy like that in the building, and that's going to piss the commanders off that much more. Uh, you talked about meshing
0: with the GM. Notoriously uh, easy to work with GM Jerry Jones. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if he'll be meshing well with he's, Ben he's, Johnson. He
1: stepped back over the past decade though. Like in, in terms of how they draft and how well they draft, they've obviously handed out bad contracts. We've seen that with, uh, Ezekiel Elliott and a few other guys, but in terms of drafting, this team knows how to bring talent into the building. Fair
0: enough there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Ben Johnson, maybe I'm just salty. Cause he said no to us two years ago, but <laughs> I'm, I'm happy where we're at right now. And, uh, I, I don't know if next season he better pick one, or else uh, he's not going to be at the top of people's lists anymore. But um, on the
1: to- oh. well, no, no. Before we move on, I have a quick question for you because the Commanders just hired Cliff Kingsbury. There's been some rumors and secu, uh, not speculations. speculation, speculations. Exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm just mincing my words today. Um, do you think that they're going to trade up to number one, kind of flip spots with the Bears? and and get Caleb Williams to have that assurance. And then do you see the Bears potentially taking a quarterback with Drake May? Or at that point, do you think that they would feel justified in taking a Marvin Harrison?
0: Well, I, I don't think any team that takes uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is in the wrong. But um, with the, the Cliff Kingsbury hire, and we got to remember, he was set to be the Raiders offensive coordinator and then backed out. And then... Yep maybe a day later was named Washington's offensive coordinator. So there was something there. I think Washington wanted him there. I, and I think a big reason of, reason for it is the whole Caleb Williams connection. To me, I think Williams and May are so close to equal prospects that trading up one spot, and it's it's not just one spot. It's going to cost them probably next year's first, their second round pick, uh, maybe like a, a contract or something. It's going to cost them a good bit, right? Yep. Um. to me i don't think it's really worth that because again I, I hold both of these qbs in such a high regard and i think of them cl- as close to equal as they can be but i do think that cliff kingsbury higher kind of hints at it because they could have gone in a number of different directions and kingsbury in my opinion was not a great play caller in the nfl uh you can't run exclusively air raid stuff in the nfl yep. i feel like he kind of buried kyler murray's potential with having just five wides forever. Um, hopefully, Kyler's able to kind of bounce back from that this year, well, now that he's healthy and has a new play caller from the Kingsbury era and everything. But um, I do think it hints hints towards it. Um, I, I would not be surprised to see Washington swap picks with Chicago there. And then, to your point, I do think – I've sung uh, Justin Fields' praises in the second half of this season, but I do think that they – Are gonna are going to go with a QB, Uh, whether that's Jaden Daniels or Drake May. I would personally go Drake May, um, because they have that ninth overall pick, right? This is the pick. The number one pick is from us, and they have their own pick um, at number nine. So they're gonna get a startable, very good player because it's a very good uh, top-heavy draft. So I'm not too keen on them skipping on a QB and starting the QB rookie contract cycle over even though i'm not a fan of them keeping eber through it because that's like the exact same thing that happened with justin fields um but i do think they are going to go qb and then at pick nine uh brock bowers might be there who's i i think he's going to finish at number two overall on my board um maybe uh neighbors or odunze slips through the cracks one of joe walter or shanu might be there or they could get a good defensive piece like dallas turner or terry and arnold so i think that uh the one-two swap is pretty possible. And then I think at two, they would take QB. But we still have uh, two and a half months full of smoke screens and speculation, right? It was just the senior bowl this week. We still have uh, the combine, pro days, all of that to get through with all the smoke going around.
1: And speaking of quarterbacks, next week, and we'll highlight this more in next week's episode, and we'll, we'll touch on this at the very end. We will be going over the quarterback prospects. Uh, Jacob's been breaking down film probably for the last, that feels like, month and a half in terms of just prospects that are out there. We'll start on the offensive side, transition to the defensive side. And speaking of guys that we think highly on, we want to kind of get into our preseason predictions for NFL awards and then kind of where we think the awards are going to go uh this thursday i believe it's actually not like it's typically like a saturday or like friday before thursday is a little weird maybe this is something that's been more recent but i was kind of caught off guard that it was thursday uh
0: i believe it's thursday i'm gonna check real quick um but i i do think it is on february 8th which is on yes yes it is yes so yeah kind of weird like you said i remember um the year that cam won mvp it was the night before the super bowl and so he wasn't at the the ceremony because he had to get some sleep for the super bowl so it is kind of weird there but um yeah like you said uh we have like what eight yeah eight awards here that are kind of the normal awards and let's start with the rookies of the year to start the the preseason I picked B. John Robinson. I thought uh, he would have a great year and he did have a good year. And then you had Jackson Smith and Jigba kind of banged up throughout the first half of the year there. And then defensive rookie, I had Will Anderson and you had Jalen Carter. Um, I think we can feel good about one of those. Like, I think Will Anderson has a good shot at being the offensive guy or the defensive guy, rather. But the offensive guy obviously is going to be C.J. Stroud. He had a great rookie season for a QB, led his team to the playoffs and everything. But I will uh, object that it should be Puka Nakua.
1: I I think it should be Puka. The year he had this past year was absolutely phenomenal, especially for a fifth round guy. This came guy came out of nowhere. C.J. Stroud was the second overall pick. Now, what the the Texans did in making the playoffs and and making the run they they did was extremely paramount to the guys that they selected at two and three in last year's draft. In Stroud and Will Anderson. Now, what I will say, Arthur Smith, uh, if he wasn't the terrorist that he was. I think Bijan Robinson would be right in the thick of it. I think he would have had around 1,500 yards. He would have had a lot more touchdowns. It was just he was splitting carries with Tyler Algier and Cordell Patterson, and then they were still trying to drop back the pass with Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke, which just didn't make sense. Even though they were one of the teams that passed probably the the least amount in the NFL. Um, I like uh, on the other side with with my prediction. I'm trying to remember if we. Uh, got into these predictions before or after Jackson Smith and Jigba kind of broke his hand. Um, I expected him to kind of be utilized more, but with Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas kind of going down in injury, they brought in Jake Boba. They brought in heavier tight end sets to kind of offset those injuries, and that kind of closed the door on just JSN being on the field and having an opportunity to produce. Because down the stretch, he was getting touchdowns, he was getting looks, he was he was becoming the player I thought he would have been all year. So I think, I think we missed, but we still had the right idea. I think these are both still great players. Obviously, like you said, Stroud and Puka are, I think, the one-two. And Stroud's just going to win it because he's the quarterback, the team made the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh,
0: the Rams also made the playoffs, but I agree with you there. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, I think those were the two obvious guys preseason. Obviously, Will Anderson being the third overall pick. He was the number one player on my board overall uh, and on a lot of people's boards too. one of the better edge rusher prospects to come out in the last half decade or so. And then we had Jalen Carter, who I believe was number two on my board. He was number one on a lot of people's boards. He kind of had some pre-draft stuff where he his uh, reputation slid a little bit, but he he started the season very well and then just kind of fell off a cliff. Whereas Will Anderson kind of steadily improved throughout the season to where I think it's going to be his award to lose there
1: yeah um and that that's that's what stinks jalen carter was putting up some insane numbers for the first half of the season rivaling like a guy like aaron donald in his first couple years in the nfl and obviously like to the point where he was one of the better interior defensive linemen And like you said he kind of fell off a cliff to where guys like kobe turner um over in la uh even um why am I blinking on his name? Joey Porter Jr. in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, where some of those guys, I think, even deserved it above him by the end of the year. And Will Anderson, absolute stud. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I, I had no doubt that he was going to be a star in this league. I just thought Jalen Carter on that Eagles defensive line was going to have a lot more opportunities to just wreck havoc. And like we talked about, he he kind of faded down the stretch. Now, Offensive Player of the Year. Well, uh, um, quick Quick note yes. beforehand. If Christian Gonzalez doesn't go down, he's top three for
0: uh defensive rookie. Of the oh, a
1: hundred percent. And I, I had him leading the NFL in interceptions. I think that would have been true. A him and um, who was their edge rusher um, guy that used to play for the Ravens Um Matthew Judon Matt Judon yes I I, those two guys going down I think really impacted the past season obviously they had a whole bunch of issues on the offensive side uh, which is a large reason why Bill Belichick is no longer with them but those two guys were difference makers and if they weren't injured I think they definitely would have put the Patriots defense at least close to the 500 Um, but yes going into offensive player of the year defensive player of the year uh, candidates, you were you were high on Jalen Hurts, which is a good pick. I mean, with the tush push, uh, he ended up uh, both him and Josh Allen broke Cam's uh, previous record of 14 rushing touchdowns. Both of them ended the year with 15, uh, and then I, I had Jamar Chase. I thought Joe Burrow. Uh, would have fed him the ball all year and unfortunately Joe Burrow went down with injury um, I think Jamar Chase was kind of in and out with a couple of nagging stuff Oh, all- actually no, it's T Higgins who was out so it was just I, the Bengals offense wasn't clicking on all cylinders Hurts uh, obviously was banged up all year and had some of his wide receivers go down the stretch um, we were we were off on this um, but do you think the guys that are kind of the front runners for this are a surprise or these guys would have been kind of pretty high up on our list if we were to do a top 3 top 5 uh
0: as the, as in the guys we have now
1: yes as as the front yeah, runners uh, uh, now yeah
0: yeah no uh i no surprise there um in fact my guy my the pick that i have christian mccaffrey for offensive player there he's in the mvp running as well i believe he's a uh, top 5 there so no surprise there. You have Tyreek Hill, who for the longest time was on pace for 2,000 yards. Uh, he almost triple crowned this year. So both of those guys had phenomenal seasons. Uh, McCaffrey also had, uh, extending from last season, I believe he's, his streak got up to 18, 17 or 18 straight games with a touchdown scored, which yeah. uh, is now the the all-time streak. Um, so both of them have phenomenal years there. So I have no qualms with either of those guys winning offensive player of the year, and then defensive player of the year. Preseason, I had Micah Parsons. Uh, you had Miles Garrett. And both now- top
1: three in the voting. So props to both of us on that one. We we hit the head on the nail there. But uh, you
0: hit it more a bit more square because both of us now have Miles Garrett as the pick to win defensive player of the year. Yeah, he's just been dominant, um, especially at the start of the year. He was going crazy, tapered a little bit in the middle, but came on strong again at the end. I think the only other argument is going to be TJ Watts' sack numbers, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's just not as impactful as Miles Garrett is.
1: I think the 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 people that vote on this now, and I'm very appreciative that uh, analytics has kind of swayed the narrative on a lot of different points about how we talk about players, but it's it's more about pressures and when you look at like the pressure numbers between garrett and tj watt miles garrett had 63 pressures tj watt had 54 and miles garrett played one less game obviously tj watt goes down in that that last game of the season but it's one of those things that he he played over 100 more snaps than Miles Garrett. And, yes, you can talk about the sack numbers. TJ Watt had 19. Miles Garrett had 14. But at one point in the season, Garrett was pacing, like you said, came on strong at the start of the year. He was pacing the break kind of the record. And it was just he got slowed down. Uh, obviously, like we talked about, he kind of hit a lull there. But overall, I think Miles Garrett was just the most dominant force on the defensive side. And it's the reason why he's the odds-on favorite to win the award. This year and sliding into kind of the coach of the year award, this is probably one that we have the most disagreement on. I'm probably going to catch the most flack on, but the odds on favorite to win it is Kevin Stefanski. He won a few years back with the Browns. He's the front runner to win it again. Why do you think Kevin Stefanski deserves this award?
0: And real quick, I want to look at our preseason predictions because we smoked this one. I had Doug <laughs> Peterson, um, who fired some coordinators because of their disappointing end to the season and you had pete carroll who just uh retired so obviously we both yeah yeah. (laughs) and not a bad year whatsoever but yeah i have stefanski and the the coach of the year thing is about the best head coach it's not about the best play caller whether it's offense or defense you know it's about keeping the team together and winning football games and throughout the season in terms of quarterback turnover and turmoil i think the browns face the most uh like difficult quarterbacking in terms of people getting hurt who they had to bring in stuff like that they start with deshaun watson who wasn't good like pretty much at all except for one game this year uh and then he it was his shoulder right that he injured Um, yes yeah, I, I believe so, non. Yeah. I, th- I think it was his non-throwing shoulder, but um, injured it, out for the year. They have P.J. Walker who bounced around before landing on the Browns this offseason. season uh, We know P.J. Walker. He had the crazy hail mary play to D.J. Moore last year, but he didn't have any plays like that this year. He was frankly not very good. Um, they had Dorian Thompson Robinson, the rookie D.T.R., who was my Q.B. five, but uh, I think he went in the fifth round, fifth or sixth round. Uh, not a strong rookie campaign for him. And then they have Joe Flacco as well. And Flacco, who played a bit for the Jets last season, um, was on the couch, was a free agent. They brought him in, and he uh, he had some magic. We we uh, sung his praises throughout the season, but he also had a lot of turnovers. But he was able to keep the team in games and help them win games. And then you got to think about Stefanski also bringing in jim schwartz this offseason and how big of an impact that had on the defense i think all this combined just the uh the adversity they faced and the outcome that they had getting to the playoffs i believe they won 11 games um which is more than some of the division winners in the afc and in the nfc so getting to the playoffs obviously they get blown out by the houston texans but i think he has a good case to be coach of the year for those reasons
1: my only hesitation on this, because uh, and and it's right to give Kevin Stefanski props for for replacing Joe Woods with Jim Schwartz. He was a huge proponent on why the defense was so successful. They they invested a lot in that defensive line to to bolster the run defense, which was a huge problem for him last year. They traded away Josh Jobs before the start of the season. They they let a Jacoby Brissett walk in free agency. They they let guys out of their building who were either starters last year or starters this year that would have obviously given them more production once Deshaun Watson went down. And that, to me, when you're a quarterback evaluator, you're the offensive play caller, you're the offensive guru on your team as the head guy, you can't let that kind of talent walk out of your building. And I, I do fault Kevin Stefanski for that. And I've looked at kind of like production from backup quarterback play. The only teams that got worse efficiency out of their backup quarterbacks this year. And there was over 10 teams that had at least 75 plays from backups. Uh, The only teams worse, the Cardinals, the the Texans, and the Patriots. So so teams like the Bears, the Chargers, uh, the Giants, the 49ers, the Titans, the Raiders with Aiden O'Connell, even when um, Carson Wentz came in for the Rams he looked better than some of the options and again carson wentz was a guy that could have been in the browns room and it's, so it's one of those things that i do fault kevin Stefansky for that quarterback issue because he could have had that resolved in the offseason especially with how abysmal deshaun watson looked last year when he came in for jacoby Brissett. so that's my biggest knock on him the guys that i would like to see Um, actually he's, he's a top three in the odds, but a guy that I think should be favored in terms of bringing in the coach of the year award is Shane Steichen. He had Gardner Minshew in a backup quarterback for most of the year. He took a team that had a top five pick. He completely turned them around to the point that they were a game away from being in the playoffs. I believe they went nine and eight and their projected win total was, I think the over under was around that six and a half win threshold. The, the Browns coming in the year were nine and a half. The the roster for the Browns was so much better than the Colts. Now, you can argue strength of schedule. You can argue the Browns played in the AFC North, which was the best division in football this past year. But it's one of those things that I think it should go to a Shane Steichen. And then we want to talk about injuries. A guy that's underrated that got so much out of his offense and this team, Mike McDaniel. Like, he does not get lauded enough for what he's done in Miami. And I know a lot of people go, well, he's got Tyreek Hill. He's got Jalen Waddle, He's got these speedsters on the outside. He's doing it with Tua. And, and two as a game manager. He's, he's, he's putting him in a good spot. He's got that run game looking phenomenal with Mostert and A-Chan. And it's it's just so fun to see, especially with considering the Dolphins offensive line, which was one of the worst last year. He's been able to mask the efficiencies there. And then despite all the injuries on defense and despite their poor efficiency on that side of the ball, and then parting ways with Vic Fangio, which shows that there was a misalignment there, he was able to get them to the playoffs. And, and that's cool to see. And that's that's where I I think he deserves a lot more respect in that category. Obviously, he's not going to win it this year, but that's that's my leaning. Uh, obviously, like you said, the award isn't based so much on who's the best play caller. It is coach of the year and who's able to kind of keep the, the locker room together. And the Browns did that. So if Kevin Stefanski wins it, props to him. I just don't feel like he's the guy.
0: Uh, one counter I would have to that argument is you brought up Steichen and McDaniel. If, why wouldn't you bring up a guy like D'Amico Ryans instead of, instead of Shane Steichen? Top five I picks again. Yeah. Um, I, I think we both thought the Texans would be worse than the Colts and they won a playoff game. They did. Like, I think they had a, a better season than the Colts did. Granted CJ Stroud stayed healthy for the most part. And Anthony Richardson did go down. And they had
1: Tank Dell uh, and Nico Collins. They, they had guys and a lot of people but, want to talk about Bobby Sloak. but I, I think, I think D'Amico Ryan should be up there. I think that's a good point. All right. That's fair. That's fair. And as far as Mike
0: McDaniel goes, uh, if they didn't choke away the division towards the end of the year, I would say, you know what, give it to him. But uh, they were what? 11 and two going into, or maybe 10 and two I, going into yeah, their last like uh, 10 few and games. Two. Yeah. Um, they, and they choked the division away. So it, even though it was a harder schedule, they had a, if they had just won like one more game towards the end there, they would be hosting playoff games
1: instead of it, playing it felt the Chiefs like they were losing. in
0: 10 degree, weather, uh, negative 10 degree weather.
1: Edge rushers every other week, though. I mean, you, you went from back Bradley Chubb going down to Jalen Phillips. I think it was Jalen Phillips mm-hmm. first, then Bradley Chubb, then Andrew Van Ginkle, who was a, a diamond in the rough coming into this year. So, the, and Jalen Ramsey, he was out for most of the year, finally came back at the end. And, and that's what I'm saying is, like, there was just so much. Like, we talk about the Browns going through four quarterbacks. It felt like the Dolphins' defense had a revolving door in terms of guys coming in, guys coming out. So, that's I, – I, if, if you want to make the injury argument, and that's the reason Stefanski wins I think the Dolphins have a bigger argument in that department. But tomatoes, tomatoes, let's get into a uh, the last three awards that we do agree on. Obviously, our preseason awards didn't necessarily line up with these. Exec of the year, uh, you thought it should go to Joe Douglas. I, I thought it should go to Eric DaCosta. We're both in line that it should be Eric DaCosta now. Where do you uh. think... Joe Douglas falls. If you were to do a top five, top 10, did he do a good job putting the roster together and just kind of got spurned by the Rodgers injury or were there other factors in play?
0: Listen, if, if there's a healthy Rodgers, I think this team pretty. Yeah. I'll say pretty easily wins the division with the down year that the bills had throughout a lot of the year and the up and downs of the dolphins. This roster is very good to me. Um, they're just hamstrung by Zach Wilson and I can't even remember the other guy, uh, Trevor Simeon and somebody else. It was like it was like the worst college QB ever for PFF also played games for them this year. Um, so they just got hamstrung by that. I do think their roster is a good, uh, it's pretty good. And I still like the trade that they made for Rodgers. Obviously now the pick isn't going to convey, so they're going to keep their first round pick this year. I'm not going to applaud Douglas for that because that's a, a Rodgers injury thing, but I like the trade that they made for him. And I still do like the team around uh, Aaron Rodgers. Just think this year they have, I believe they have pick number 10. If Joe Walt or Fashanu falls to him, that's like the one missing piece in my opinion on offense is that offensive uh, tackle position. So if they can get that solidified and Rodgers comes back healthy, ready to play, uh, he has another dark room experience i guess (laughs) comes back invigorated and ready to go i'm all for it i think they're good there it's just so unfortunate that what was it like four minutes into the season for them uh aaron Rodgers ends up going down um super unfortunate i do think it's beneficial for zach wilson though to get these reps because like we talked about that might be the the plan after aaron Rodgers. but i'm not so sure anymore regardless i think douglas and um blanking on the head coach's name.
1: Uh oh uh, uh why why am i blanking out on his name too? I can I can picture his face. I, yeah, uh, I he can was see the 49ers it. defensive coordinator for a while, Robert Sala.
0: Sala. Yes. Um I do think this is a make it year for both of those guys coming up this year. Uh, assuming everybody stays healthy and everything. And even if not, even if uh Rodgers does miss a big chunk of time, that's uh they put most of their eggs into that basket, right? So they this did. is the team they built and this is uh, they kind of have to lie in bed with this team and like sleep on it because this is their creation. But I, I'm still high on that team. But obviously it goes to DeCosta with uh, bringing in Munkin, drafting Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham and Aguilar had their their parts this year. And it kind of leads into our last award. We have one more, but uh, all that kind of culminated in a an excellent season for Lamar Jackson. But we do have comeback
1: player of the year uh, before that. I, I stole, I stole in the preseason. Uh, we'll, we'll, jump on different things. So like for this one, we tried to not keep it the same. So there was a little bit more, uh, discussion. Um, I, I got Demar Hamlin and the fact that a guy comes from pretty much dying on the field. Uh, you can, you can talk about the feel good stories, whether it's your Joe Flacco's, your Baker Mayfield's guys that had bad years, the year prior and had a comeback seasons, uh, looked competent or looked really, really good. I, there's just, it's hard to kind of compete with dying on the field. And that's, that's really just what you have to come well, back to and and props to him.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, it's not even that it's like, he didn't just come back and was on the practice squad or something. He actually played games this season and, uh, with, with the backend, uh, secondary injuries to the Buffalo bills, he was thrust into a bigger role, kind of like he was at the end of last year this year like he was playing meaningful snaps uh now he wasn't the defensive player of the year or anything but to come back from such a a scary incident like that to like what i guess it's a full year later 12 months later to actually playing nfl football the highest level of football again i think is remarkable and i don't think anybody else deserves comeback player of the year i had calvin ridley um he had a pretty good season closer I think it was like 1050 yards or something like that nine touchdowns so not a bad or i think it was nine he dropped quite a few touchdowns but not a bad year this year um it's just hard to compete with demar hamlin and like you said at the start of the year we were trying to differentiate most of our picks so that's kind of where it went there but demar hamlin's the easy choice but the the big award and i want to hang my hat on it because i called it um you did it's most valuable player mvp before the season started, I thought the addition of Zay Flowers, who was my favorite receiver in the draft to watch, and Todd Munkin favorite, revamping his team. Not, the top. Teams. not <laughs> top, nope. Jordan Addison, I I still think Jordan Addison's a much much better player, but uh, Zay Flowers is going to be a wide receiver one in his own right. Even though he he had some costly drops this year, that's neither here nor there. Um, the most valuable player this year to me is Lamar Jackson. Um, and I, I, he is the odds-on favorite. He uh, he had a couple big games where he proved it versus the 49ers versus the Dolphins in the regular season. Uh, there's just not much more to say. I've talked about him in my perfect take section, probably five out of the 18 weeks that we had this year. Just a phenomenal season for him, and he deserves it.
1: Yeah, I, I was off on this one. I thought the Jags offense would be... A lot more explosive. I thought Ridley uh, would add another element to it. I thought once they got Cam Robinson after a suspension, the offensive line would kind of be short up. That just wasn't the case. They obviously started eight and three. They looked hot. I think if Lawrence had had a tear in the last month or so, and they had gone 13 and four, 14 and three, uh, he would be right there in the discussion of it because he, he was kind of hovering around top 10 kind of production for most of the year. So it wasn't so much that he he was completely out of it. It's more that exactly like you said, Lamar Jackson is, is a really special player. Once Todd monkin and him really got on the same page, he got on the same page as some of the new wide receivers they added this year. He was tearing it up, especially down the stretch. And had they not gone away from their identity, I think they'd be playing in the Super Bowl this week. So it's one of those things that the the front office between Eric DaCosta, the head coach, and John Harbaugh, and just what they do and what they build year in and year out is really, really special. And Lamar Jackson, the the way they extended him, I think was very smart. Now, I think he does need to be quicker in terms of getting the ball out of his hands. He he is, I, I wouldn't say lost a step completely, but he doesn't feel as fast as he was in that 2019 MVP, uh season. So it's one of those things that if he wants to take a step, if he wants to have longevity in the NFL, he's got to kind of craft his game. But he he rightfully deserves the MVP. Uh, I know a lot of people want to like post numbers and other things and, and show that Purdy was the guy or even Dak was the guy. I think really the only guy um, that has a argument or um, kind of dog in this race is is Josh Allen. And if they had won a couple more games and they weren't just uh, sneaking in, even though they ended up getting the two seed, I think he would have had a lot more uh, in his favor going into the uh, the, kind of this voting period. But uh, moving in, um, now that we're kind of wrapped up with this episode, kind of what we previewed uh, between uh, the Panthers press conference, kind of the reformatting of the Pro Bowl, coach talk. And then just a recap, of NFL awards that will be uh, presented this Thursday, we have the Super Bowl preview. And we're going to touch on this briefly just because we are already over the hour point. Uh, what are some of the key matchups that you are looking for this coming Sunday uh, between Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy?
0: I want to see how Mahomes does against Legereus Sneed and that San Francisco 49ers secondary uh, I don't know if you saw, but there was, you know, they start the media for Super Bowl week early, like on Monday. And somebody asked Snead, who was a former chief, uh, where is it better to play, in Kansas City or San Francisco? And he said, oh, San Francisco for sure. So I- I'm interested to see how, and granted, the Chiefs receivers are, we'll just say not those guys. I'm interested to see how Mahomes targets or if he targets Snead heavily or anything like that. I want to see that match up there. And then uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier, the the tight ends. Um, I want to see how Travis Kelsey does, because he had a very, very good game against Baltimore. Um, hopefully, Taylor Swift is able to make it from her concert, and I believe it's Tokyo. Um, there was a whole segment last week about how she might not make it in time because she has a concert in, uh, I believe it's Tokyo. Hopefully, she makes it so that Travis Kelsey can turn up. And then George Kittle. I want to see what he's able to do.
1: I think George Kittle is going to have a fantastic matchup, probably Mike Edwards. And I, I think what Snead and McDuffie bring, they're going to be able to kind of shut down and stifle uh, the looks, the Debo, the look, the Brandon and It's going to be really up to that defensive line to stop the, uh, the, the 49ers run game, because I think unlike the, Ravens last week who kind of abandoned the run, the 49ers aren't really going to do that. And I think they have a lot of opportunities in terms of um, their their power run game. Uh, They average about 4.1 yards per carry when they're doing power runs. Uh, The Chiefs allow over five. Now, their outside zone and inside zone, uh, they average uh, around five yards a carry for both the chiefs allow under four and a half yards so i think the chiefs are very well disciplined under spagnola with some of those zone type runs and so i think if the chiefs are really going to get exposed in this it's exactly the game plan that we should have seen from the ravens last week and it's a lot of power run game and the the 49ers love living in 21 personnel i think we're going to see kyle use check out on the field several times we saw some beautiful throws from purdy last week the kyle use check expect him to be involved not only in the run game but the pass game and that could be a matchup they exploit against this chiefs defense kind of going into sunday um anything else you kind of want to touch on between matchups before we get in the perfect takes
0: yeah um i 100 percent meant Charvarius ward not legerius need there so that's my bad um oh you he, mean with the 49ers yes his, yes he he was chiefs to Chief. 49ers yeah yes. that's the whole thing uh I don't know why I'm mixed up. The name. I guess Sneed and Ward have they both end in the letter D or something. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, this was probably the least ideal outcome because we saw this Super Bowl pretty recently. But the teams are pretty different. Um, obviously, Mahomes is still there, but this was against Jimmy Garoppolo and they had Emmanuel Sanders, and now we have Brock Purdy. Uh, A more fleshed out Brandon Ayuk, who's coming to his own Christian McCaffrey, of course. Uh, So it's going to be hopefully this is a shootout. That's what I would like to see the most. And that kind of takes me into my perfect take for this week. Um, I talked about last week how my preseason playoff bracket uh, was out of order, but it had pretty much everything coming true. It had the Chiefs beating the Bills, the Ravens, a Florida team and an NFC West team in the Super Bowl. Uh, so, I'm going with that. I'm going to say my perfect take is that Chris Jones meets the incentive laid out in his contract because, you know, he had the contract dispute early in the season. He sat out a couple of games, came back in, pretty incentive-laden contract. He meets the Super Bowl incentive, which is $2 million uh, after they get their victory. And then I think he's going to leave in free agency. I think he has his own story to write there. And after they win, this will be his third Super Bowl with them, right? Uh, he was yep. there the whole time. Mahomes was there. Um, after he wins his third one, he will go uh, get his well-deserved bag in free agency. So that's
1: my take. I think that's a good take. Uh, Chris Jones has has kind of proved the haters wrong, so to speak. After kind of coming back from those contract disputes and sitting out a couple games, I think he came back like week three against the Jags, mm-hmm. and um we we could touch on a whole bunch of other matchups we didn't get into and kind of the preview due to time constraints but the one i find intriguing is that steve wilkes likes to play like a soft zone and if he doesn't and i would say early on play man coverage similarly to what mike mcdonald had the shift to in the second half to kind of shut down this defense and just play too high force them to take everything underneath uh, play a little bit of press. You got the guys for it. I, I trust Fred Warner on a Travis Kelsey. I trust Tredavious Ward, like you were saying, on a Rasheed Rice. And for some of these other kind of tertiary guys, these guys that are lower on the depth chart, to step up and make plays because throughout the season they haven't for the chiefs but i don't trust wilkes to do that i i think he's gonna play soft zone i don't think chase young has been the addition that they hoped he would be after trading for him mid-season and so with all that said i think the chiefs do something they've only done three times this year they did it once in las vegas and they play in las vegas this sunday but it score 30 or more points and they haven't done it this post-season, But We've seen the Packers and the Lions, both good offenses, score over 24 points. The Lions scored over 30 points last week against them. And I think that's going to be the difference maker because the Chiefs defense has been absolutely suffocating. And I think they're going to win it. Um, So we'll we'll see if that comes true. I think Chris Jones, um, the leave-in for agency, that would be kind of a legacy to to have won three Super Bowls with him. There might be talks that Travis Kelsey retires and he very well might. So it's very interesting to see that if the Chiefs win it, how, how different their roster is going to look. But I was just looking over and before we wrap up, teams that have gone the back-to-back Super Bowls recently. We had, uh, obviously, Kansas City did it. Uh, They played and beat San Francisco back in Super Bowl 54 and then lost in 55 to Tampa Bay. Uh, Before that, you had Seattle beating Denver and then losing to New England. And then the time before that was kind of the start of the Patriots dynasty when they went back-to-back beating both Carolina and Philadelphia in back-to-back years. So this would be the first time since the early 2000s we would see back-to-back winning uh, if both our predictions kind of hold true
0: well uh, i i shiver at the thought of another patriots like dynasty forming but i'm a mahomes fan and uh i i can't root against him he proves me wrong every time so i'd like to see the chiefs win and i do have the chiefs winning here
1: yeah. Um and, and uh, props to Jacob, he had uh going into the season, he said, uh I'll bet against the Chiefs once they prove me wrong. He had the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl in the preseason and it was against the NFC West team like he talked about last week. So, uh if that comes true, Jacob knows ball just for all our listeners out there. Um and with that we're wrapped up like I talked about early in the episode. We'll obviously Uh, review the Super Bowl, kind of go over that. Uh, But we'll start getting into draft season. We have the combine right around the corner. We'll go over quarterback prospects next week. If you guys have any questions about any uh, late round quarterbacks, shoot them to us at perfect underscore takes. We'll definitely answer them on the podcast next week. And until then, we'll catch you guys.